following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. You give the healing and grace, our hearts always hunger for.
a highway to the heart of God. Oh, Lord, I need to journey on that highway into your heart. I pray tonight, O oh God, that you will speak to each person, that you will quicken this message. Lord, we ask that you would manifest yourself in this house tonight. We wait upon you, Jesus. We don't understand, but we stand on your promises. And we don't believe the circumstances. And we don't believe the lies of Satan. We wait on you, Jesus, Son of the living God. Thank you, mighty one of Israel. We pray in your name. Amen. Deuteronomy, the 32nd chapter, verse 35. Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. It is mine to avenge. I will repay. In due time their foot will slip. Their day of disaster is near. And their doom rushes upon them. You recognize this passage of Scripture used by Jonathan Edwards to introduce the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It comes out of that song dictated by the Lord God of heaven to Moses regarding the children of Israel as he begins to prophesy that they will sin against him and that his judgment will come upon them and they will be crushed. This passage strikes terror in my heart because God is positioning himself as a God of vengeance on the sinner. It is mine to avenge, I will repay. In due time their foot will slip. It's almost as though God is waiting for their foot to slip. And he's saying, I know your foot's going to slip, and when it does, I'm going to come down on you like a ton of bricks. Their day of disaster is near. Their doom rushes upon them. I said in my prayer closet, Oh God, I don't understand about their foot slipping. What is it in this slipping of the foot that brings such vengeance, that brings such judgment upon our hearts? Suddenly, he gave me a, a very clear picture. I want to share that picture with you. I was walking with some others on a path, and I immediately recognized it as the narrow path. And as we were walking together on this narrow path, suddenly, the path divided right in the middle, so that now there was only half as much space on each side 
to walk in. So I was walking here. The others were walking on this side. And the path split. As the path split over to the right, I saw it was rocky. It was difficult. It was not paved. It looked like a trail that would soon peter out and end. The other path, however, it looked a little more civilized and a little more smooth. And the paths ran right together. Not as though they were separated. There was just a gulf between them of maybe six, eight inches. So some walked on that path and some of us walked on the very dusty, rocky path. <laughs> but after some time of walking, I began to notice that the paths were separating out a little more. And as the paths separated out six feet, in the middle, I saw it was beginning to be very wet. As we continued to walk, we joked about we could jump from one path to the other. It would be easy. But soon, the distance grew a little further, and I began to note that the path on the right began to ascend a little, and the path on the left began to descend a little. And in between grew a marshland, a swamp. And the two paths slowly divided one from the other. until we had to shout back and forth to each other across the two. It became difficult to communicate, and so we fell into silence. I watched as finally that path turned and went off. And I said, Lord, where is it going? And he said, it's going into the desert going into a dry place where it's barren, wilderness. Death and destruction are there. But Lord, the two paths seem to be the same path. They seem to be going the same direction. In fact, those who were on the other path were saying to me, now, Pastor, we're going the same way you're going. We're walking together. We're just, there's just a little distance between us. Lord, how does this begin to happen? How does this begin to happen? Well, in just such simple little things, things that we would consider of absolutely no consequence. Issues that are not important. But they separate. Things that have 
really no eternal significance, but they separate. And the mind and the heart begins to fix on that. And the divide grows. I remember in the Lord showing me this picture at one point. A number of us were shouting over to those on the other path, and we were saying, hey, don't go that way. Come back. Come with us. And they said, it's too far back. It's too far back. We said, we'll wait for you. And they said, no, don't, it doesn't matter. The paths end up in the same place. We'll see you at the end of the path. But the truth was, the paths were going in two different places, in two different directions. And what separated the two paths seemed to be of no consequence at the time of the separation. Of no consequence. I said, Lord, is there no way to rescue those who have followed that path into the dry desert, into the wilderness, is the only solution for them to retrace their steps and go all the way back to the beginning? And the Lord said, no, they don't have the strength to go back to the beginning. They could never go back. They don't have time to go back I said, Lord, there has to be another way. How will you deliver them? He told me to turn to the 35th chapter of the book of Isaiah. And he began to speak a promise into my heart that has given me great peace and comfort and courage today. Chapter 35 of Isaiah, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. I want you to understand, he's speaking here about the desert, which is a place of death. There is no water, and a man will die in that place. And it's in that desert that he says the land will become glad and the wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of God and the splendor of our God. And I said, oh God, how is that going to happen? And he said, strengthen the feeble hand. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Those seemed like absolutely opposite 
statements to me. If the Lord is saying to me that those who go on this other path and they slowly separate and they go out into that wilderness where there is death and destruction and he's saying that he is going to rescue them and then he says, vengeance, divine retribution. Saying, Lord, if there's retribution and there's divine judgment on those who have gone out into that wilderness because of their sin, how is it possible that then you will save them? How can you bring divine retribution? How can you bring vengeance and salvation? He said, read on. I read aloud to the Lord, then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Okay, Lord, this is about salvation. Those who have eyes that have been blinded by their own sin, by their own bitterness of heart, by their own pride, their eyes are going to be opened. Their ears are going to be unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy and water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs in the haunts where jackals once lay. That is where death once lay. Grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. I still did not understand. And then I read this wonderful passage, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. And suddenly I understood. Out there in that desert where those rebellious, lost, have turned aside onto the Broadway path and have been led out into the wilderness out into the place of death and destruction, in that place, the Lord says, a highway will be there. I will plant a highway there. I thought there was only one road, and I thought it was the straight and narrow way. The Lord's saying, no, there's another way. It's the highway of holiness. And the highway of holiness leads straight out of the desert, straight into the heart of God. So the person who should receive vengeance, who should receive judgment, instead of receiving judgment and death, will be able to come to a clover leaf that leads directly onto the highway of holiness, and no jackals can be there. So there is a place of deliverance out of the heart of rebellion. There is a place of deliverance out of a bitter root. There is a place of deliverance out of every mess we can create. And it's called the highway of holiness. I want you to see more about this highway. 
it will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in the way. Who is the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when we, out of that desert place, that place of death and destruction, when we come to that place and we're dying of thirst in that wilderness and we say, there is no hope, there is hope. There is the way. There is a highway of holiness. It is open before us. All we have to do is drive onto the highway. And it's a one-way highway. doesn't matter how you come on the butterfly. It only goes one way. It goes to the heart of God. This is the incredible mercy of God poured out for us when he confronts us with our sin. And he says, look, you've been blind. I'm going to take the blinders off. You've been deaf. I'm going to take the ear stops out. You've been lame. I'm going to give you strong legs. The reason I'm going to give you eyesight, the reason I'm going to give you hearing, and the reason I'm going to give you strong legs is that you'll be able to move quickly onto the highway of holiness and head toward God's heart. Those who choose to remain in the desert and refuse to get on this highway will perish. That's where the vengeance is. That's where the divine retribution is. So there is laid out before us death and life, life and death. And life is the highway of holiness. No lion will be there. The devil goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The lion cannot get on the highway of holiness. He is only able to access us and kill us when we get off the highway. Nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. Only those who are bought back by the grace of God will get on that highway. Now, I want to confess tonight I've taken the wrong road so many times. The wrong road always, for some reason, seems right to me. Now, please help me understand that. I have never gone on the wrong road when I thought it was the wrong road. I always went on the road I thought was the right road. And it was the wrong road. I thought the choices I was making were well defended. I thought the choices I was making were the only option I had given the circumstances. Given the way I'd been treated, given the way I understood reality, I saw no other choice but to go down that road. And so off I sat on that road, hiking briskly down it. 
not seeing that that road was separating from the heart of God so that I couldn't even hear his voice calling out after me. And then by a wonderful act of mercy and grace, he opened my ears so that I could hear him calling, get up on that highway, Ray. I'd get up on that highway and I'd say, you know, I think I'm going the wrong direction here. I mean, I remember I was a sophomore in high school. I'd just gotten my driver's license and the assistant food service director that I worked for, her name was Johnsey. And Johnsey said, Raymond, because that's what she called me, Raymond, I have to go to Andrews University in Berrien Springs, Michigan. You have your driver's license. Would you be willing to drive me there, Raymond? I said, of course, Johnsey, I'll take you. What kind of car do you have? Well, I have a stick shift. Do you know how to drive that? Not a problem. I called my dad real quick. I said, teach me how to drive a stick shift, Daddy. Well, he explained to me it's an H. And he told me to draw an H on a piece of paper. And then he told me where the gears were. And he said, that's how you drive it. It's the same as the tractor. You've driven the tractor, except it's up on the steering wheel. I said, Daddy, I've got it. Got Johnsey and that little Nash Rambler. And in the first few miles, I learned how to drive a stick shift. Johnsey, by that time, was wondering if she had made a safe choice in chauffeur. We drove from Mount Vernon, Ohio, out to the turnpike at Akron, Ohio. I got on the turnpike, and we drove for some time. And Johnsey said to me, Raymond, it seems to me that we are traveling east. Is that possible? I said, oh, Chauncey, that's not possible. We're headed west. We're, we're going to Andrews. We drove on in silence. We stopped and got gas. We continued driving. I was absolutely certain. I said, Chauncey, see, we're coming to the end of the turnpike. That will be Indiana just ahead. It wasn't. It was Pennsylvania. With humblest apologies, I said, Johnsey, I took you the wrong direction. It was 2 a.m. when we finally pulled into Andrews University. And I'd learned the difference between East and West. I can't tell you how many times I've gone East instead of West. The road looked the same. I thought I was right. And I was on my way. 
I have fought pitched battles in the church to defend what I believed to be right. I have separated in friendship and relationship because I thought I was right. I was at a place called The Gate down in Georgetown on M Street. It was a coffee house and a and a medical clinic, a free clinic for hippies, for street people. And I would minister there with a a sandwich bar, coffee shop, and the clinic. And I would go do street preaching down in Georgetown. I would hand out flyers, and my staff would hand out flyers, and we would invite everybody to come to the coffee house on Friday night. The place would be so jammed, fire marshal made us lock the doors and keep people out. We couldn't get any more in. Two o'clock in the morning, I'd be preaching the gospel, and then afterward we would debate the gospel with university students. And finally, so many came to Christ that we said, let's start a church in Georgetown. We found a piece of property. I went to my board. I went to my senior pastor because I was on the pastoral staff of a very large congregation. And much to my chagrin and shock, the senior pastor said, Ray, I can't let you start a church in Georgetown. I said, why not? He said, because if you start a church in Georgetown, you're going to take the gate under that church, and that's a ministry of the Sligo Church, and we have paid all the money to set it up. It's our outreach. It's not a gate church. It's a gate outreach. We do not want to go the direction of a church in Georgetown. Well, I knew he was wrong. I knew he was absolutely wrong. So I went to my board chairman and I explained this woe to him and he said, Ray, Ray, wait a minute. You're under your senior pastor. You work for him. I said, no, I don't. I work for Jesus. And Jesus wants a church in Georgetown. I was a part of a denomination. I knew what to do. I played the political game. I went to my president. I said to the president of the conference, we need a church in Georgetown, and the senior pastor of my church is saying, no, you can't do one. Will you support it? He said, absolutely, I'll support a church in Georgetown. I ignited a war. I want to tell you what happened in that war. The senior pastor of that church resigned his position and withdrew from the ministry over that war. The president of that conference was fired. Three of my staff left the church and left the gospel of Jesus Christ over that war. I took the wrong road. Destruction came in so many lives because I was so right, I was wrong. I mean, which of you here would argue that 
it would be a wonderful thing to open a church in pagan Georgetown. Everybody would say that's a wonderful thing to do. That church today has gone from a membership of 3,500 members to 1,500. Much of the demise traced back to that war that I ignited in my pride. I've had to lay that before the Lord and repent of that. The Lord has dealt sorely with me over that issue. He has disciplined me for years over that issue. Have you ever taken the wrong road? Made decisions that hurt other people? Broke other lives? Drew people away from Jesus Christ? When you and your self-righteousness were only concerned about bringing people to Jesus? This thing is so destructive and so desperately, desperately wicked. When I have taken the wrong road, I have every time found a highway there a highway of holiness. When I repented and I turned from my wicked way, there was the butterfly in front of me to get on the highway of holiness. There's a New Testament passage that I want to share with you tonight. It's found in the book of Hebrews. in the 12th chapter. I'll begin reading with verse 12. It's been speaking about the discipline of God and being subject to the discipline of God. It says, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms Strengthen your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be hagiah, to be set apart. For God. Without Haggai, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God 
and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. It's this bitter root that is always associated with being right that grows up in our heart. If my wife would just do it the way I want her to do it. If my children would just do what I want them to do. If my husband would just be the husband he's supposed to be. If my boss would just be the boss I would be if I were in his place. It's a bitter root that grows up that is always associated with self-righteousness. And as this root grows up in our heart, it causes trouble and it defiles many. Because none of us are an island. We're all connected to somebody. And if those somebodies are connected to us and we have that self-righteous spirit, we'll defile them, even if we're right. We'll defile them. Because the Lord calls us to lay aside that root that causes bitterness, calls us to walk on the highway of holiness. Holiness meaning, once more, Hagios, to be set apart totally to God. You know, I am not set apart in this house to be the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I'm not set apart in this house to be somebody. I'm set apart to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm set apart to speak his word as the Holy Spirit moves in my heart. I'm set apart to walk in obedience to his every command. I'm set apart to be submitted to him. I'm set apart to be humble of heart. And when that bitter root begins to grow in my heart, I can always recognize it because it turns my brother, my sister into an enemy. And frankly, the issues are not even worth speaking of most of the time. As I look back on that situation, instead of resigning, and causing the entire gate ministry to collapse, I could have stayed right there and prayed and waited on God to open a church in His time. What glory it would have been for God to have opened His church, His way, in Georgetown. And today there would be a powerful ministry for God in that wicked place. He provided the building 
It was a gorgeous building. It was available. But I had no patience to wait on God. I only saw what my senior pastor was doing wrong. I only knew that I was going to go to war for what was right. I had no heart to wait before God. I thought men built the church. What agony of heart for me to learn that it's not man who builds a church. It's Jesus who builds the church. As you look back on those places in your life where you now know you took the wrong road, do you recognize that you took the wrong road usually out of a root of bitterness? Thinking you were right. And you were mistreated. And you were going to straighten it out. What road are you on tonight? Are you on the straight and narrow road that leads ever higher? Narrow. Can't take any baggage with you. Are you on a path out into the wilderness? Destruction and vengeance and darkness. Heartache and pain. You have to decide. If you know you're off the straight and narrow path tonight, there's good news. You can get back on quickly. As soon as you begin to repent in your heart and confess your sin, highway of holiness opens up for you to be set apart unto the Lord and to begin to receive the discipline of God once more in your life. The Lord never asks us to dwell in recriminations about the past. I share with you tonight this story of, of my gross sin against a brother. The pain of that time is gone because it's under the blood. I'm sorrowful for what could have been, for what might have been. But I've put that under the blood too. Tonight, my only heart is to walk with my brothers and sisters on that straight and narrow path. The highway of holiness. There is a place of deliverance. There is a place of redemption. You don't have to go any further down that path. The grace of God is poured out for us in this house. But you recognize to walk on that path will require that we walk in the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews and we have to begin to walk under the discipline of God on that highway of holiness. You cannot walk on the highway of holiness without the discipline of God being on your life. Some of you in this room want to live at the entrance to the highway of holiness. 
fact, you've camped out. You've built a house right there at the entrance. And you've said, it's my intention to go to heaven. And I have my house now, and it's built. I've invested. I've built my house right here at the entrance to the highway to God's heart. And when the time comes, just be patient with me, Pastor. When the time comes, I'll slip up there on the highway. Don't deceive yourself. A wild beast may get you before you get on the highway. A lion may devour you before you get on that highway. Every man and woman who set their feet on that highway are there by grace and grace alone. They are there by the mercy of God and the mercy of God alone. I urge you tonight, don't play with God. Don't be righteous in your, in your mind and say, I'm on the right road, pastor. That attitude tells me you're already on the wrong road. Oh, John C., I'm on the right road. You watch, just up ahead. Don't play those games with God. Do you have issues in your heart tonight that need to be cleaned up? Are there areas of disobedience that you've casually dealt with? Time to deal with God. Time to get on that highway of holiness. That place where the streams break forth. That place where the papyrus grows. That, that place of eternal spring. It's your choice. Lord, I pray tonight I pray for my own life and for the life of my brothers and sisters. I pray, Lord, that you will not allow us in our pride and in our arrogance to think that we can camp at the entrance to the highway of holiness. Lord, don't let us be deceived by this world and its ways. Lord, bring conviction to our hearts tonight and turn us toward the heart of God. Lord, I just feel such a sense of burden tonight in my spirit. For in this fellowship, we've played a shell game for so long, saying, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus, but then not following Jesus. Saying, yes, I'm going to be submitted to his will, and then not being submitted to his will, walking out of this house and going about our business and living like the world. Lord God, would you change this in this house? Take the offense, Lord, out of my words, but don't take the offense out of your cross. Lord, let us face the offense of your cross squarely. And Lord, some tonight are going to say, but pastor, I've gone too far down that road. I can't come back. Oh God, open the highway of holiness right there. 
bring deliverance in this house tonight. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you.